Hey everybody, this is Steve, and I just want to thank you so much for listening to The Elucidators. The best way you can help us spread the word about the show and grow the show and hopefully do more of these for you into the long term is if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review and write us a couple sentences uh, if you're able to. That actually makes a huge difference for us when it comes to uh, promoting the show. If you're not listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please consider sharing us with your social media following on Facebook or Twitter because we get a lot of new listeners that way too. Thank you and on with the show. In the 21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're international relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are... The Elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Halley. With me, as always, is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How are you doing, Sumi? I'm okay, but that's because I didn't have to go to LAX today, where apparently they are checking folks getting off of flights from China for a new potential pandemic virus. Holy crap. That's... Yeah, no, it's, that's real. That's the thing that's happening. That's the real. That's the real deal. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. today's episode, today being uh, the evening of Tuesday, January twenty first, we are going to be talking about a nascent global health crisis, uh, the Wuhan coronavirus. Wuhan it has hit the news. Wuhan, Wuhan being a pretty big city in China. Oh yeah, and it's uh, they're, they're call, they call it uh, the Chicago of China. It's a top ten city in China. Yeah, man, there's like 9 million people in Metro uh, Wuhan, like close to 20 in the greater Wuhan area. It's a mm -hmm. big, important city in China, but we don't know that much about it here in the West, but it is big and important. Yeah, yeah, it's in the interior of the country. It's, on, it's located on some important rivers like the Yangtze. And it would seem that uh, about three weeks ago, we heard the first reports of some cases of a new type of virus people getting infected by a new type of virus. And it seems like that virus may have been coming out of the animal markets, the so-called wet markets, where people buy livestock, uh, like pigs and chickens that are still alive in Wuhan. Because this is a thing that, you know, Chinese cuisine is all about uh, fresh, fast food. And generally on two or four legs, they eat a lot of pork, especially. And a lot of new viruses tend to originate from these markets it's happened in the past and in fact sumi i'm actually going to give us a little previously on coronaviruses right because this is a specific type of virus and we've seen this type of virus before previously 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 the coronavirus that most people are probably the most familiar with is SARS, which is, of course, quoted in a really famous uh, Kanye West lyric from one of his better albums. I believe the SARS line in the Kanye song comes after, I believe the, the line before it is, baby, your breath is harsh. Cover your mouth up like you got SARS. Yeah. Rhyming harsh with SARS. <laughs> 
It works. Uh, it was back during his, like, I'm going to make uh, popular music that is actually good. Not like today. Yeah. Let's call it first three albums, roughly. Um, anyway, SARS stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. SARS killed, what is it, about 800 people uh, yeah. back in 2002, 2003. And this was a another coronavirus that originated from livestock in China and spread basically throughout the entire world, but especially across East, East Asia. 300 of those deaths uh, occurred in Hong Kong, uh, more in Taiwan, more in Korea, and so on. Uh, not too many deaths in the United States, uh, but it sure as heck scared a lot of people. Um, so it infected about 8,000 people when all was said and mm -hmm. done and killed about 10% of them. Um, yeah. And economists have to actually taken a look at the economic impact of this particular coronavirus. And they found that it generated an economic downturn in China and the rest of East and Southeast Asia, equivalent to the Asian financial crisis of 1997. So it actually shaved a point off of China's economic growth at that time. It was a big deal. People were terrified and everybody stopped traveling to China to do business or to do tourism. And that had follow-on effects throughout the economy. It was pretty bad. Right. So real quick, when you say that these economic studies are done, you got to imagine that the corona a coronavirus, okay, it's a specific type of virus. We'll talk about what coronavirus means in a minute. But these viruses hit, they're they present in relatively benign ways, like a flu or a cold or even like a walking pneumonia, the kind of stuff that most folks just sort of tough their way through because they have to in order to get on with their lives. Okay, so you have this virus. It presents like a normal sickness. Folks are just walking around. Yeah, they're like, I got to take DayQuil and get to work. Yeah, exactly. Right. Take some, or if you're in LA like we are, like get your fucking healing crystals and drink some. <laughs> yeah. If you're me, you're mainlining a bag of zinc lozenges. That's what you're doing. And yeah, it never fails. Yeah. Whatever you need to do to make really expensive urine. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, so whatever. Point is, people get sick in various ways, and it, does, it presents like any number of illnesses that you've had throughout your life. You get on with your life. You keep going. But it turns out that when you have one of these coronaviruses, then, okay, this thing starts transmitting, and it transmits person to person. And from there, it, when you talk about an economic effect, well... We don't live 500 years ago. We don't live 200 years ago. We live now, where people have the ability to be mobile in ways that is unprecedented in the history of our species, and not just like within societies, across countries, across societies. So mm -hmm. when somebody in Wuhan, Wuhan, the Chicago of China, has this coronavirus contracted from an animal, uh, an animal in a market there. It is a short walk to a, a man in his 30s in Washington state being quarantined after being diagnosed with that same coronavirus because that's happened. There's That has happened. Yeah, there's conf a confirmed case of this coronavirus in the U.S. That's right. So uh, some guy from uh, Snohomish County in Washington state uh, returned from Wuhan and uh, was quarantined. He's in the hospital, and uh, hopefully he does all right. Um, the initial indications for this virus is that it's not as deadly as SARS, which killed about 10% of the people infected. Yeah. And it is certainly not as deadly as MERS, which came along 
a number of years later, I believe 2012, it first appeared in Saudi Arabia because MERS yeah. stands for, I think, Middle Eastern... Middle East Respiratory. Respiratory... Uh, syndrome. Syndrome again. And <laughs> yes. I know my acronyms, man. Yeah, no, you're good. You're real good. Thanks. Um, a little salt there. <sighs> yeah, that's all right. Hey, what other doomsday stuff do you want to know about? Let's keep doing it. <laughs> that's what this that's is. what we do, man. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just happy to not be in Iran. Oh, God. Uh, why do you... Ah, oh, jeez. Oh, man. Something something in my eye? Why am I crying? But uh, MERS killed about 40% of the people it infected, and there was an outbreak in 2015 in in South Korea that killed a couple hundred people pretty quickly. So MERS was really, really bad, um, much worse than SARS. But the, the good news, the quote-unquote good news about MERS is that it didn't spread very far or very fast. Um, I think because the international response was much more coordinated to MERS and also because it was so deadly that the people who got sick didn't have a chance to walk around for a while thinking that they were fine, right? There's kind of like this reverse relationship between how deadly one of these coronaviruses is and how how readily it transmits for that reason. Because if you're really sick, you're not going anywhere, you know? You're not shaking hands, you're not doing business, you're not going to Dairy Queen. Steve, I'm going to need you to stop plugging businesses that do not give our podcast any business. Yeah. They need to earn, although I will give you DQ a solid. Hey, all right, man. So you're talking about SARS and MERS, and these are, okay, this is like a jog down uh, tragedy lane. Yeah, very much so. But these end up becoming contained tragedies, right? Right now, we are not walking around with masks on as we might have considered doing in 2002, 2003 uh, Mm -hmm. during the SARS outbreak. And yet folks on the news are talking about these coronaviruses as sort of a recurring thing, SARS, MERS, and now this one, which they haven't given a fancy name to yet. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, no, some, someone in the uh, super calm measured media is going to give this a great name. Uh, Steve, what is a coronavirus? Yeah, so I'm not that kind of doctor, Sumi, and neither are you. But I did <laughs> a little bit of half-assed internet research uh-huh. prior to recording, and I can tell you that it seems to be related to the common cold. Yeah, It's like a cousin of the common cold, which is also a type of coronavirus, Obviously, this is a lot worse than the common cold, which tends not to kill any appreciable percentage of people, certainly not 40% or 10% or 5%, which is where we're currently at with the Wuhan virus. Uh, We've had reports of, I think, 300 infections across countries and six deaths so far. So that that would give you a 5% number. And that'll probably go down as those infection numbers increase, is is my guess. yeah, it, it is related to the common cold, and it tends to generate something approximating pneumonia. It presents as pneumonia, and it's a viral pneumonia, so antibiotics aren't going to help you that much, if at all. And it's kind of like, you know, there, there are antiviral treatments you can try, but you kind of need to just be hospitalized uh, under observation and get fluids and anti-inflammatories and hope for the best, I think, yeah. for a lot of this stuff. Two quick things on coronavirus, and they're both going to have to do with the moon. Uh, coronaviruses have that name because because of a vaguely lunar appearance, like a moon, the corona, uh, mm-hmm. under a microscope. That's where it gets the name coronavirus from. 
little bit of trivia as you are now wondering if uh, if you have a cold, if you might be dying of the Wuhan coronavirus. And second, one of the reasons that you're going to hear a lot more about this in the coming days is because in China, we are coming up on the busiest travel time of the year, and that is the celebration of the Lunar New Year. Oh, yeah, which uh, I believe kicks off on the 25th, a couple days from now. So the Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year, for, for those who don't know, is kind of China's version of like Thanksgiving and Christmas rolled into one. It's super important, and the basic idea is that everybody just goes home to wherever they're from, from the yeah. cities. Um, they go into the countryside, they go to other cities. Um, obviously, this started in Wuhan, which is a pretty big city, 9, nine million people or 20 uh, in the greater yeah. metro area. And so Wuhan, you know, like Los Angeles on a holiday weekend, <laughs> L.A. gets so much more awesome because there's no traffic. Everybody just goes to wherever they're from, oh, right? It's the best. It's oh the best. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. L.A. with no people is, is the oh, best yeah. city in the entire world. L.A. with people, eh, mediocre. It challenges the spirit. <laughs> yeah, challenges the spirit. You sit in traffic and you listen to a lot of podcasts, and then you decide to make a podcast, which I guess is good, but... Anyway, we digress. Um, everybody is going to go home for this holiday, except that it's not clear that that's going to happen anymore because the authorities in Wuhan are preventing people from leaving Wuhan. <laughs> so if you are on a tour in Wuhan, you cannot leave Wuhan right now if you're a foreigner. Uh, it's less clear what they're doing with, um, I guess, Chinese nationals in Wuhan but we've seen that China is very, very authoritarian and will not hesitate to use all kinds of repression to keep people from leaving or uh, quarantine people against their will or do whatever it is they think they need to do. Uh, they, the authorities in Wuhan have actually set up a dragnet, an actual dragnet, where they are stopping cars randomly and taking people's temperature to see if they might have a fever and be infected with this coronavirus. <laughs> so, you know, just think about that. You get pulled over, and instead of, like, license and registration, somebody just, like, sticks a, a thermometer in your ear and uh, then just drags you out of the car. And stick, you know, you're, you're going to, to observation and then quarantine, and that's it. Hey, man, um, no, nobody, I don't care what kind of uniform or badge they have, is sticking anything in my ear. But the ear thing continues, because if you're on a flight out of Wuhan, into, say, Incheon. There's direct flights from uh, Wuhan to Incheon. Incheon's a city in South Korea, not terribly far from Seoul. Uh, mm -hmm. As you're coming off the plane, you're getting an ear thermometer, like a uh, trip to the mm -hmm. pediatricians. That is happening. That is happening. And it's the same thing as happening in LAX and SFO and JFK. They are now screening folks for, uh, for spike temperatures to try and do the proper public health thing, try and quarantine and manage the situation. That's right. So the, the U.S. hasn't got hit hard by any of these coronavirus pandemics yet, which is good. South Korea got blasted by MERS, and, and I think dozens or even hundreds of people died. So they're taking it super seriously this time. Yeah, Steve, I want to yeah, go back. You were talking about um, the Lunar New Year. One mm. thing, in addition to that, there's tens of millions of Chinese that are abroad as well. They're going home for the New Year. Or are they? Yeah. <laughs> so a good point. They may no, not be. a good point. Yeah, I think, I think uh, an, an unusual percentage of those people will be uh, staying away from the motherland this Lunar New Year. But uh, we'll see. I mean, this is, this is in the news now. 
I was going to say the the international response and, and coordination to this, uh, this is an IR podcast, and we're talking about this for a reason, because the only effective way to stop this sort of thing from happening is a coordinated international response, um, which notably kind of didn't happen uh, during the SARS epidemic because the Chinese lied about what was happening. They tried to cover it up and pretend like nothing was wrong, even though we were getting reports out of China that people were dying from a mysterious viral illness and uh, everybody was wearing face masks and entire cities were quarantined and then it started to spread um, and different countries reacted differently. The Singaporeans notably uh, basically went full authoritarian and forcibly quarantined people, uh, which at the time was frowned upon, but... Uh, in the benefit of hindsight, I think looks a lot better given how deadly this disease was. And the World Health Organization eventually got a handle on it. Scientists cooperated internationally, and they were able to sequence the genome. And this was back in 2002, remember, 2003. So we, the technology was nowhere near as good as it is now. They sequenced the genome and developed a test. And once you have a test, you're much better able to identify people who are sick with this instead of something that kind of looks like this and really quarantine and shut down the transmission of the virus. But it took six to 12 months to do that, and way more people died than needed to back then. This time around, uh, Xi Jinping, the, uh, the glorious leader of China that we've talked about at length many times uh, in our Hong Kong episodes and elsewhere, and if you're interested, go back and listen to those episodes. He has basically come out and said on state media, this is our number one priority. It is critical that... We take this seriously. Everybody needs to know about it. Um, I believe that the scientists have already sequenced the DNA, and the World Health Organization is already working on this problem. Um, so the international response is much more coordinated, much faster this time. The CDC here in the United States is set to meet tomorrow, and will probably have additional news for us on the United States' response to this at time of airing, uh, which is usually on Thursday. So we've got some good news in our corner, for sure. Uh, and, and hopefully, it, it, we don't know very much about this virus at all yet, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to, uh, with a coordinated international response, which you, you're really not seeing in the case of something like climate change as much, people are taking this, pan, <laughs> this pre-pandemic much more seriously. And, and that's, uh, that's a good reason to uh, feel, feel good about what's happening uh, to whatever extent it's possible given that we're talking about an infectious, deadly disease. So let's talk a little bit about some more, uh, I guess, national and international implications of this, Sooms. Um, one thing I keep coming back to is we've talked about China, and we've talked about Xi Jinping and kind of the situation that they're in. And we've also talked about how SARS put a massive dent in Chinese growth for like a year. Bad times. A bad time. Yeah. And <clears throat> listeners of our show or followers of the news will probably remember that times have not been good for Xi Jinping in China over the past year or two, have they? They have their regional challenges, which are Hong Kong and Taiwan and what, that, what they're going to do in terms of rising military tensions. Also, the uh, Muslims in Xinjiang, which they're brutally repressing. Right. They have, uh, they have a million, by, by most Western journalistic outputs, they've got more than a million uh, Uyghur Muslims in re-education slash concentration camps in uh, Xinjiang in the northwest of China. There's domestic challenges with uh, the environment. They've lost something like 50% of their rivers. 
uh, over mm-hmm. the last 60 years. Industrialization has been fantastically beneficial for China and its and its economic bottom line. GDP growth can't be questioned. However, it's coming at serious costs. And one of those costs comes in public health stuff like we're talking about today. When you're mm-hmm. talking about industrialization, one of the big in China, one of the big appeals is cheap labor. And so you have hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of millions of Chinese peasants leaving the countryside of what has traditionally been an agrarian society, moving into cities, moving into factories, and they start working in these factories. Okay, well, as you would imagine, when you look at a map of China, these sort of time-lapse maps, and you look at a city like Shenzhen uh, 40 years ago versus now, it goes from being a sleepy fishing village to being a bustling megapolis. But then you got hundreds of millions of people that got to live places and they're living on top of each other. So this is one of the challenges that we're talking about for China domestically when it comes to public health stuff and particularly these sort of viruses that might be able to move very quickly and outpace any sort of public health response. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you just said about sort of the long-term rise of China. Like the trajectory is clear. Here's the thing. Over the short run, like especially in the last year or two, Xi Jinping has actually been on a losing streak. A big losing streak. We talked about the recent elections in Hong Kong, where the Hong Kongers repudiated Xi Jinping's vision of an authoritarian union uh, with Hong Kong and basically taking over Hong Kong and depriving those people of their rights. Uh, We were thinking about doing a show on the Taiwanese election. So Taiwan being regarded by Xi Jinping as a renegade province. Taiwanese uh, had an election recently and overwhelmingly voted for the independence candidate after seeing what was happening in Hong Kong and basically, yeah, rejecting uh, that that vision of the future for Taiwan. Uh, on top of that, uh, Xi Jinping just signed uh, a trade deal with Donald Trump. You may have read about it in the news. Phase one. Yeah, phase one trade deal. We're not we're not going to get into who's a winner and who's a loser uh, on this podcast because you know it's actually pretty difficult to say. Uh, but Xi Jinping is definitely not a winner. Uh, we we can say that much pretty confidently, uh, given the what's happened to the Chinese economy and uh, the contours of the deal. And yeah, speaking of the Chinese economy, it slowed down a lot. So it averaged, I think, eight to nine percent GDP growth for I think two or three decades in a row, which is completely insane, and has gotten the Chinese to be the number two power in the world, challenging for number one, challenging the United States. Yeah, but. It's pretty clear, uh, despite deficient economic data coming out of China and possibly fraudulent data, that the Chinese economy has slowed down a lot, slowed down to maybe five or six percent growth, which still sounds impressive, but is not really what is needed to keep the domestic political situation stable. Now, you have all these different factors uh, that you and I have both outlined, and you add the coronavirus to that. If this turns into a pandemic, like I said, During the last pandemic that really hit China, SARS, it knocked an additional point, an entire additional point off of GDP for that year uh, and basically resulted in a mini recession. And this is exactly what Xi Jinping does not need right now, given his losing streak, given the fact that he now owns all of these policies 100 percent because he controls China 100 percent. So the people under him are obviously terrified of him, but he still needs their buy in and if he keeps losing, if, if bad things keep happening under his watch, there's going to be whispers, right? You'd have to think so. 
look, when we generally talk about how governing works, like actual government, how it works day to day, we think about, we don't think about the stuff that gets covered on TV, which is, you know, political speeches, angry tweets, etc. We don't think about the function of agencies and keeping roads paved and having the military fed and prepared should anything go sideways. We're less focused on these sort of big events that are external to the regular function of government, the exogenous shocks, these ex external shocks that can derail the way governments and societies work. The black swan events, uh, these improbable events that end up being more impactful than et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, point being, when we talk about the big public health stories of this century, we go down the list. We go SARS, MERS, like we have. We can talk about swine flu. We can talk about uh, avian flu. We can talk about Ebola, right? You know, and so there, we're now at a point where information travels fast enough that there's an Ebola outbreak in parts of, parts of Africa. Well, right, all of a sudden now flights are diverted and you try and throw as much of a commercial uh, net around that. There still ends up being seepage through the net, right? There are Ebola cases in the U.S. and the Ebola cases in the U.S. Those patients were cured. Do we have an Ebola virus? I'm not entirely sure, but this speaks to you know we talk about these events in the 21st century, but when we take a broader view, going back into the 20th and the 19th, back as far as the middle uh, into medieval times, these big public health problems, these pandemics can absolutely alter the ways many societies work. And when you throw that, raise that to the power of incredibly connected societies where goods and people move readily all over the world, like three weeks from Wuhan to Washington state, that's what it took for this coronavirus to get. We don't know how many folks have seeped through the net and where they are. Like, Okay, in the U.S., people are looking. South Korea is an advanced society. Japan's an advanced society. Thailand was able to move quickly. Hong Kong is very advanced. Taiwan is very advanced. We don't know where everybody else has gone and what's happening on the other side of things. And I'm not trying to raise fears. Like, I'm not trying to beat the drums of public health war. But this is the reason that it keeps becoming a story every time one of these things happens because you have to figure sooner or later it will. And to what you were talking about earlier, the thing that we have now that we didn't have in the Middle Ages or in the earlier part of the 20th century is the same ability to talk and coordinate. And this is a real challenge for international relations folks and governments is how are you actually going to embrace international action on this stuff in a time where nationalism seems to be superseding, absolutely trumping multilateral, multinational action. So, such that it is. Well, so the I think that what we're seeing right now is very encouraging. And if you contrast it with something like climate change or even like, you know, nonproliferation, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because 100% of the people on earth believe in viruses and 100% of the people on earth are terrified of them, right? These numbers are not the same <laughs> for climate change in the United States, obviously. So mm -hmm. it's not controversial politically to like try to protect people from uh, pandemics, uh, especially as we get more virulent pathogens as people live closer and closer together more and more densely packed and travel all over the world, as you've already said, right? We're going to get more and more of these things coming out of the woodwork. And 
like people are paying attention to it. It's reported on very quickly. And the Chinese, to their credit, have not tried to suppress it. They've actually admitted it and they're working to control the situation. And so is everybody else. So there's no reason not to coordinate. Right. The question is whether we can actually do it effectively enough to get ahead of the situation. Uh, Can we sequence the genes fast enough? Can we come up with a vaccine fast enough? You know, it can sometimes take months or even years to synthesize a vaccine uh, for a virus. And like, are we going to get better at that? We're going to have to, right? Because more and more of these viruses are going to come out of, you know, <laughs> the various types of animals that uh, human beings live with. Some viruses might even come out of the permafrost now that it's uh, starting to uh, fall a little bit in places like Siberia. <laughs> and uh... here we go. So real quick, um, before we fully let Steve off the leash here. Should be known, Steve is a deeply knowledgeable catastrophist. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's true, man. I know half the stuff about half the stuff I know about catastrophes is from you, and the other half is from stuff I then went on to look up after I was like, I don't want to stop him because I have questions. I'll go. No, so so quick story, Sumi. Our our first podcast idea was actually called the Catastrophists, and we might still do it. I mean, this this podcast has kind of turned into it because we generally only talk about bad news, but yeah. There is a real incentive for big power countries like China and the U.S. and wealthy Western European countries to spend, I don't know, $10 billion. I think I saw a number in Bloomberg that was like $4.5 billion on on just upgrading international public health systems and coordination totally. to better prepare and handle these sort of outbreaks when they happen. Yes. Uh so that we don't have to deal with another Spanish flu or plague that comes sweeping through and leads to not, okay, we all still remember SARS, not just because of the Kanye lyric. We remember SARS, then it also killed several hundred people. Well, what happens when it's tens of thousands or more? Nothing good, man. Uh, I would say trade shuts down, um, economies shut down, countries, states, people communities turn inward everybody is terrified um everybody starts using video chat so it's probably good for uh google hangouts zoom (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) maybe slack i don't know okay when when i talk about areas in which countries should be able to overcome national disagreements to act internationally multinationally the two ones that jump out are what we've been talking about big public health things because viruses don't know borders they don't have passports and the other one is climate change right because climate affects everyone everywhere in disasterville at the intersection of climate change and pandemics is this it's i mean straight out of sci-fi dystopia stuff it's where the in the melting permafrost viruses that have long been dormant that have not touched uh, living animals in millennia come roaring out and come ripping through whole countries and societies. Yeah. Right? And we'll have 0% immunity to that stuff. And it's really only a matter of time uh, before that happens, hopefully a long time, but we don't know. Yeah. No, there's a whole uh, sub subgenre of science fiction surrounding that particular type of apocalypse. I could direct you to a number of titles and even a few video games if you're interested. Uh, but you're probably not. It's my guess. Nah, I'm good. The regular the regular world is scary enough. Cool. Yeah, I agree. 
so I think we're we're done with the coronavirus. Uh, we will certainly continue to monitor the situation. Like I said, the CDC is getting ready to uh, present on this, and uh, hopefully, <laughs> the major countries of the world cooperate. And this turns out to be a tempest in a teapot, but we will see. And we are going to leave it there. Thanks, Sumi. Yeah, fingers crossed. Later, Steve.